Welcome to the show, 713. We've got uh, Mike Acosta on. Before we uh, bring him on, we will uh, go ahead and Wes Andrews and I are going to welcome everybody. How's everybody doing? Everybody having a good time, I hope, as they uh, listen in. We've got uh, a fun guest on, Mike Acosta, who's a uh, Houston Astros historian, and uh, he's got a lot of great stuff. Uh, Mike is the gatekeeper of Houston Astros memorabilia team history. He's uh, started in broadcasting with the Astros, and over the years, he's been in charge of authenticating and archiving every piece of Astros lore that comes off the field, or from the dugout for that matter. And uh, Mike is an unrepentant Astrodome supporter, so we'll definitely ask him about that. And he's uh, even created Scale Model of the dome, which has uh, gone around Houston and including a few uh, preservation places. So without further ado, let's welcome uh, Mike Acosta. How's it going, Mike? Hey, guys. How you doing? <laughs> Thanks Great. for having me on. Thanks yeah, for being here, Mike. definitely, definitely. So, uh, so I guess, yeah, just kind of introduce yourself a little bit. There's a lot of uh, stuff to unpack there that we're definitely uh, looking forward to uh, talking to you about. But uh, first off, welcome so to the show here, 713. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, a little bit about myself, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm yeah, right. A native. I'm, a, I'm a native Houstonian. Uh, I, I grew up, uh, I like to say I grew up in the Astrodome. Uh, I went to a lot of games. My dad took me to a lot of games. I was in the Astro Buddies Club uh, from a young age until I aged out. And, uh, that was that was kind of a sad moment when uh, we couldn't do that anymore. My brother and I were in the Astro Buddies. Uh, but I, I've always been uh, very interested in Houston history, Astros history. Uh, you know, I, li- I love art. I love to draw. I love to paint. Uh, I like to, to make models. Uh, you know, I've kind of surrounded myself with with a with with that type of uh, genre, I guess, through uh, whether it was school or work. Um, and I've been really fortunate along the way. Uh, I spent uh, you know 22 years. Really, uh, I've only worked down 22. three places. Yeah, I've worked three places in my life, and uh, I worked one place before uh, I joined the Astros uh, 22 years ago. 22, yeah, 22 seasons ago. And, um, so, you know, it's, it, you pick up a lot of stuff and, and I guess it, it kind of formulates, uh, who, who you already were, uh, it solidifies some things it enhances, uh, you know, you learn a lot more. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that we all do not stop educating ourselves in whatever it is in life that we try to pursue. And that's exactly the way I feel. Uh, about my career so far and everything else. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's just you know you you do you did such incredible work uh, for the Astros, and so um, I know that you're in charge of the Hall of Fame and the, the Astros Hall of Fame now. Uh, give us a little bit of uh, an idea. What is it like? Like uh, because I could rattle off you know tons of players that maybe are worthy on the Astros side. How do you go about selecting, or, you know, or, you know, like you had Lance Berkman this year for me, mm-hmm. I would have put him in first, but I understand why you didn't and why you didn't. So what's your thought process on, you know, the next class of Astros inductees for the hall of fame? Sure. Sure. Well, we've had two classes. Um, we had the 2020 class that we just inducted uh, a couple of weeks ago at Minute Maid Park. 
which was, like you said, Lance Berkman, Roy Oswalt, uh, Roy Hoffines, Bob Watson, Cesar Cedeno, and Billy Wagner. And, you know, all very well-deserving uh, inductees. We weren't able to have an induction ceremony last year for obvious reasons because of everything that's, uh, that's been going <laughs> yeah, on right? in the world. And, and, and you, you know, we, we actually felt that, you know, in a situation where there is a pandemic and we could not have fans in the park, uh, we were going to do a disservice to these people by inducting them and, you know, putting the plaques up and, you know, kind of privately presenting their jackets to them. Uh, it, it just wouldn't have been right. So we just decided to bump it to uh, to this year in 2021. Uh, but but we've had two classes now. Uh, the first class in, in 2019 had 16 members. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a pretty large <laughs> class. And there yeah. was, you know, in, in kind of putting the, the Hall of Fame together, and I if we're going to talk about the Astros Hall of Fame, we, we really need to start with Reed Ryan. Uh, Reed Ryan was was kind of the original driving force. He was the the approver, uh, so to speak, in kind of getting this together. I, I put the the procedures and I kind of or, I'd organized everything and you know how how the jackets were going to look, how the the plaques were going to look, uh, you know unique items, you know what how it was going to appear, what the the alleyway was going to look like, uh, what we were going to put in there. But he was the guy who said yes and got the the blessing of Jim Crane. To, to really move forth with that. And I worked real close with him on procedures and putting together a, a Hall of Fame committee to where we could elect, we could have a very good conversation and elect these Hall of Famers and really respect the history and the people. We're, we're here to celebrate legacies. And, yeah. and so in going into that first class, um, I looked at one thing that I, that I told Reed we could not ignore, and that was our retired numbers. You know, I did. I, I did a lot of research with uh, other teams and what they had done for their team hall of fames, or uh, you know, if they had something of, of that nature. And a lot of teams do, uh, and, and almost all teams have retired numbers. So I, I looked into the retired numbers, and I saw that the Astros uh, were disproportionate in the numbers retired versus the numbers of people that were in the hall of fame that had their number retired. Um, usually with other teams, I found that you are a baseball, national baseball hall of fame person, and then you have your number retired, but all the teams kind of do it different and we can't change, you know, when, when you're in baseball or football or basketball, soccer, whatever it is, whatever pro sport it is. And if it's been around for, for many decades, you're simply a steward of that entity, that public trust. Uh, until you're not. And so, you know, we try to do the best we can and we respect the history. Now, in 1965, on the day that the Astrodome opened on April 9th, they retired Jim Umbright's number because he had passed away of cancer in 1964. And so that was the very first number that was retired. And it was, um, you know, his story was shared throughout Houston. Umbright, you know, his, his story kind of caught the hearts of Houstonians and uh, you know, he, the, the teammates really loved him. He was a, a, a really great guy to, to have in the clubhouse and they rallied around him and they decided to, to retire his number. And the same thing in 1975, when Don Wilson passed away, uh, he was, he was a very big presence in the clubhouse, very well respected. Uh, the team was still fairly young. It was only, you know, about 13, 14 seasons in, almost 14 seasons in, 
And so uh, they wanted to do something to honor him, and they decided to retire Don Wilson's number. And then, of course, later on, we had Mike Scott and Jose Cruz. They added <laughs> Nolan Cruz. Ryan to that. And, and some of those guys, I mean, you really see how they were franchise, uh, you know, they, they impacted the franchise in, in their obvious ways. But altogether, including Jackie Robinson, you know, we had, I think, like 11 retired numbers and, you know, Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. Jeff Bagwell at the time when I was doing the, the initial uh, research, he hadn't gone into the Hall of Fame yet. And so right. you're looking at Nolan Ryan and Craig Biggio at the time, and that was part of the discussion. Hmm. But we could not ignore the fact that these numbers were retired. We're not going to ever unretire numbers. Yeah. Uh, so we had to look at that. And then, so you look at the retired numbers, and that's kind of a, a really good class right there. Okay. But then you also look at what the team did. And I was kind of part of in 2012 when the, uh, the franchise turned 50. And we started what was called a walk of fame right down Texas Avenue. And at oh, that nice. time, we, we inducted some, some – well, I say inducted. We presented these plaques, these bronze plaques that were in the sidewalk along Texas Avenue. And the idea was to continue these plaques down Texas, back around you know the home plate side of the ballpark, and then up the first base and right field side, and eventually have this really nice – uh, trail of, of plaques that honor the past and all these these great people and it would have been uh, it was similar to a hall of fame in that it wasn't really uh, limited to players we could also have executives and broadcasters in there as well so we started that but then it kind of faded away and it really wasn't expanded so when i started doing the research uh you know and reed and i started having some real detailed conversations uh, we talked about the the Walk of Fame. We talked about the retired numbers, and and basically came up with the idea. Look, these people have been recognized by the franchise already in the highest honor that they could. It would do them a disservice if they weren't part of the inaugural class of the Astros Hall of Fame. So sure, right. that's where we came up with that, and it was a well balanced class. Uh, a lot of great names in there, and and it was also kind of looked upon as if you know if we had started the the Astros Hall of Fame years ago, this is kind of what it would have looked like by now, and mm-hmm. so that's why you didn't see Lance Berkman or Roy Oswalt or Roy Hoffines right away uh, because they they had not gone through that process. We were just trying to get the Hall of Fame off the ground and sure. really start with a a, a solid class that that made some sense and have some, some meaning behind it. And I know a lot of people, they don't get that backstory. So I, you yeah. know, I've tried to tell people, uh, you know, as much as possible and, and share that story of how we selected people, but that's how it came about. <laughs> and, uh, and it's done very well. Uh, the alumni yeah. love it and it's, it's, it's been deep. a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, you know, I look forward to continuing, um, you know, really kind of directing this down the line and, and doing some different things with it and, you know, we're we're just in the early stages now, but but we have a we have a good vehicle to take off in. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and that that's why I asked because I feel like if there's a lot of fans out there, they might have wondered, hey, why was the class like that? And just shedding some light, who better to ask than you? Um, <laughs> and and it's beautiful. I every time I visit the ballpark now, I walk by you know down the alley, and it just 
I, I didn't even watch 90% of them play really, but it just, I love history and especially Astros history. And you're so detailed in, in everything about it, it that you do for each person that's been inducted so far. It's just, it's an awesome thing. And I, I tell, you know, anybody I know that's like, Hey, I'm going to Houston or at least pre COVID. Uh, hey, I'm going to Houston. We're going to go to Astros game, you know, especially since you guys have opened the hall of fame. Uh, you know, hey, just go check out the Hall of Fame. You get to see a lot of cool uniforms on display for sure. Uh, but you get to see why I love uh, this team and, and the identity that we have. And you do a really great job in, in capturing that. And uh, but yeah, I've always wondered, you know, how did that first class really come to be? And it was huge. You know, there are sometimes in the National Baseball Hall of Fame, as you know, no one goes in. So yeah. to see 16, I was like, whoa, that's massive. And uh, but, <laughs> no yeah, doubt. It, it was it was awesome. And, and yeah. yeah, thanks for clarifying, because I, sure. I, I've been wondering for years. Yeah. And you, you kind of touched on something that um, that that really I think about a lot when when we're working on the Hall of Fame. And you said, you know, you didn't see 90 percent or whatever it was. You didn't mm-hmm. see the majority of them play. And, you know, that's that's part of the idea is yeah. that we are going to educate generations uh, you know, make people who remember seeing Jimmy Wynn make a catch or Joe Morgan turn a double play uh, or Larry Durker, you know, win 20 games. We're, we're going to make those people relive those great memories. Uh, but then we're going to educate all of the yeah. other generations who, who really didn't know. And, you know, they're going to see their, their name. They're going to see the words on a plaque. They're going to know that they're all part, even though, you know, uniforms change over the years, they're going to be part of this baseball fraternity here in Houston. Yeah. And so uh, it's it's important that that was a that was a huge thing is is educating yeah. uh, future generations for, for players. I mean, at one point, I mean, it's weird to think, but you have to think down the line. You always have to project out into the future. At one point, we're going to have people coming to the ballpark, whether it's at Minute Maid Park or, or another stadium who didn't see Jose Altuve play. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, yeah. And that, that sounds weird right now, but it also, yeah. uh, it sounded weird, you know, when, when Jose Cruz w- was playing for the Astros or Mike Scott yeah. was pitching. And, and now, you know, we're 30 something years removed from, from retirement on there. And so the franchise has grown, I think for a long time, the Astros were regarded still as a, a young franchise, but uh, you know, next year, is uh, the 60th anniversary 60. of the team. Mm-hmm. So wow. it, uh, it has, there's a lot of history to celebrate. And there's a lot more history to continue to celebrate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we make yeah. history every year going to the playoffs. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. And, yeah. And you were saying some people don't uh, always agree with it, but it wouldn't be sports, right? If somebody didn't have a beef with uh, something. So, uh, <laughs> so no, I think you guys are doing a great job with it and definitely uh, look forward to checking it out next time I'm there as well which i guess you have a new class uh, you were saying is going to be elected uh, for 2022 yes we are getting ready to meet uh the the astros hall of fame committee is getting ready to meet we're targeting september uh that's usually when we you know we have kind of a timeline uh, within the franchise to to get uh, things done and prepared for the for the next season. And the last time we selected a, a class was in September of 2019, and that was the the class we just inducted uh, in, for 2020. Uh, so we're going to get together, and and the class, the I mean, the uh, committee is a group that I'm really proud of uh, because when we were putting together the Hall of Fame committee, I, I really wanted 
uh, a good mixture of people uh, that that had really strong knowledge of the franchise, who were well versed on the players, well versed on on Houston baseball his, history, also having knowledge of, of Houston history as well, not just Houston baseball history, but how the culture uh, has evolved and how Houston has evolved as a city. I think that kind of plays into it as well, and what some of these players meant to the city, you know, and not just as baseball players as well. Right. So we have, um, you know, we have Bob Durrell, who is the president of the, the Larry Durker chapter of Sabre, which is the uh, 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 Society for American Baseball Research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's, the, he's the head of that here in Houston, which is a national organization. Uh, and they have a chapter named after Larry Durker here, Mike Vance, who is a uh, a very well-spoken historian and author who has put together numerous projects about baseball and in and, and Houston in general. Uh, we have Craig Biggio, Larry Durker is on nice. that. Uh, wow, we have nice. Gene, Gene Dias, who is, um, yeah, yeah, we have a very good selection. Uh, Gene Dias, who is a vice president of communications for the Astros, Marion Harper, uh, who is the vice president of foundation development for the Astros. Uh, and then we also have uh, Brian McTaggart, who covers the Astros on a daily basis, yeah. and also Allison Footer, who covers the Astros as well. She's an MLB <laughs> correspondent, but she also spent many years co- uh, working for the Astros as well. And I, I don't believe... I left anybody out. I really <laughs> hope I didn't. I, there's, a, there's a good group there, um, and 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 Reed Ryan was on that, but but he has now uh, gone mm-hmm. a different path, and sure. and so he's not really part of that. But you know, he and I talk, and and I, you know, I'm always gracious to to his time that he gave to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And Reed's such so, a nice guy. Yeah. He's so yeah, nice we're guy. we're looking to meet, um, you know, next month, and and really kind of hammer out. Uh, what the 2022 class is going to look like. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a smaller class than what we saw this year. I think we're, we're kind of getting into a realm where, you know, we, we don't have so many shoe-ins, you know, or obvious people that we need to put in there, like the Lance Berkmans and the Royals, Waltz of the World. Uh, so we're going to start getting a lot more finite. But there are some people who I think that to, to most Astros fans will probably – uh, come to mind, and, and all of those guys are, are going to be certainly discussed. And that's the, the beauty of the committee, is that they can enter a room uh, and, and really have a, a great discussion, and, and really a solid discussion, uh, without all the, you know, you see online where people banter around and everything, and then, you know, a lot of time is wasted. This group can really walk in there, analyze uh, the the, uh, the roster that I put out in front of them, and kind of taking a look at what their stats are. Uh, and really have a conversation as to what they meant to the Houston Astros or the Colt 45s, if it happens to be somebody there. Oh, um, yeah, that's deep. You know, it does have, uh, you know, the, the, the Hall of Fame has a rule that you had to have played in part of at least three seasons. So it is possible because the Colt 45s were around for three years. Uh, if you played, you know, that somebody who only played for the Colt 45s, which is the same franchise as what we have now, uh, it is possible for somebody to, to be inducted as well, if, if that comes yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, in three years, that definitely opens up the possibilities, um, you know, of, a, you know, maybe a short-term person that had a huge impact in a, in a short contract or a few years. And then, you know, went off to greener pastures or whatever. So 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I'm looking forward to, to the next class. And I, that was my big thing was like, okay, like, like you said, it's getting a little more finite. Like there, you're going to have to get down in the weeds now because there's not as many obvious cases uh, to be inducted. Yeah, we have a lot of great names and, and still a lot of great players uh, that we, we have. I did a projection. So, you know, I, I kind of see what the Hall of Fame is going to look like for a decade or more and kind of project out what, you know, after the 2019 class. And I kind of looked at, all right, this is what 20 or 21 and so forth up and, you know, through the, the greater part of this decade that's coming up, you know, through, through the year 2029, as we get closer to 2030, you're still going to see a lot of great names. Oh, yeah. uh, there, there's a lot of great players out there. Uh, and then also the, the people who, who impacted the franchise, you know, like we had Roy Hawthines uh, in there the, this past year. And, you know, we had Milo Hamilton and, and Gene Elston in 2019. So we had non-uniform personnel in there. And, and there's a lot of other uh, people that, that are going to deserve a conversation like Tal Smith, yeah. Ari Bob Smith and, and um, you know, Craig Cullinan, George Kirksey. Uh, there, there's a lot of people that have been involved with the um, with the franchise. I think at, at one point we'll probably be discussing Willie Berry as well. You know, who has uh, been on the grounds crew since like 1970, and yeah. he, he's one of the guys that right. that used to dress up in the astronaut suit. You know, at the at the dome, and he, <laughs> oh, nice. he, he dates back. He dates back to those days, and, he, and he's <laughs> yeah. still there. Uh, manicuring the the pitcher's mound and and taking care of the, the field, so um, you know they're, they're, that's what I really like about the the Hall of Fame is that it, it does honor uh, the players and and you know we we try to treat the legacy right and try to educate you know uh, everybody in, you know here now and in the future, uh, but we also take a focus on the people who who had a great impact off of the field as right. well. So that's yeah. that's a great thing. And it captures the spirit of our team and of our franchise, like you said. Like, there's no better way to, you know, capture all that by putting these people that aren't just players. You know, it's easy to see the players, but it's the people off the field and the people that have made a difference, um, you know, in other aspects that help the success off the field, uh, whether it be coach or GM or announcer, mm -hmm. you know, th things like that. Um, it does open up a lot of good possibilities for uh, some really great people that deserve to be recognized. Mm -hmm. Sure does. Awesome. Yeah. You kind of mentioned uh, the Astrodome. Um, that's definitely something that uh, sits out there a lot. Um, a lot of stuff has <laughs> happened in regards to the Astrodome. Um, What's the Astrodome? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what uh, what was the first uh, time? Do you remember the first time you walked into the Astrodome? I have images. It was in the late 70s. You know, like I mentioned, my dad, you know, uh, took me to a lot of the games. He took my brother and I to a lot of games. And, and you know, they, they were, uh, you know, I remember – as a, as a young kid, most of the time we would, if you're a Houstonian and, you know, most of the time we would go down South Main, we'd cut through the medical center because we, we didn't live on the outskirts of Houston. We actually lived within uh, Loop 610 at that time. So we would actually uh, sometimes just come down Main Street, down to South Main, through the medical center. And it seemed like, I mean, at least to me as a kid, it seemed like the traffic wasn't as bad as it is now uh and we you know i remember <laughs> passing by the oil you know oh that well that was by, by fannin but we would come around 
and turn on the Kirby and, you know, there's the dome and all of a sudden it's, it's big and open and the dome is like the biggest thing out there. Uh, and, and the sun is kind of gleaming off of the, the, the roof panels, you know, because it's, it's late in the afternoon. Uh, and we would park, it was hot, you know, uh, by the time we walk up to the door, you know, I'm kind of sweating. And, and sometimes as I got a little bit older, uh, I would make my parents, well, I would beg my parents to <laughs> get us there before the gates open because I wanted to spend as much time in the astrium as I could. But as a, as a kid, and I mean like three or four or five years old, uh, you know, I remember feeling the, the whoosh of air conditioning oh. as the, the door would open. Uh, you know, you could hear the, the uh, ballpark organ music playing, uh, <laughs> and, right. and I could see the, the, uh, the, the bright AstroTurf field. It was, it was a bright green. And then, yeah. you know, the, the halls were kind of dark, and there were these lamps, you know, that were above you. And, and we would walk around a little bit. We'd go get some food, and we'd walk around to the gift shop and stuff. And I remember as we went towards the outfield, you know, it would open up. Because the upper level seats ended down the the baselines, and there was the massive scoreboard, and oh, that man. that thing that was really probably the first thing that locked me into the mystique and the wonder, you know, of the Astrodome was was the scoreboard and all the lights, and then the Chester charge and the animations that they did on there, the <laughs> home run spectacular, which you see this right here. Um, kind of pointing to it see those three balls yeah, right there the three well, that's that that's actually a part of the original home run spectacular oh nice it used to be and yeah. it, it, it lights up i don't really activate it anymore but i love that <laughs> i have it because that's one of the the very first things that that i remember about going to the games and then you know on the field so this is the late 70s and around 1980 and so the, you know the astros are actually starting to play better than they were in the mid 70s and um they have these orange hats and the rainbow uniforms and you know, there's just a, a cool factor about everything. And I couldn't really yeah. pinpoint it, but yeah. it was, uh, it felt really different because as I got a little bit older and, you know, I was, you know, at home during the summer or whatever. And you know, the, the Cubs would come on TV at one o'clock or whatever it was. <laughs> and they're right, playing yeah. at you know, they're playing at Wrigley field and you have Ivy, you have an outdoor stadium, grass on the field, uh, these pinstripe, you know, blue and red, white and blue pinstripe type uniforms. <laughs> and, and, you know, then I go to the Astro game that night and it's so much different than what they're doing. And it's even different than, you know, what I was seeing on TBS with the Braves. Yeah. And um, so, you know, that's it, that's my first memory, you know, with with it's just how different it was. Uh, and it, it, it sparked curiosity, you know, to learn more about it, like. Why did yeah. we have this dome yeah. here? You know, why why was it here? Yeah. How did all this come together? So those yeah, are really my earliest memories. Yeah, that's just remember yeah. the noise, just how loud that place would get. It would just be unreal. It an, and it was an echo in there too. You know, when <laughs> uh, you know you would, it wasn't like a. a it, it I think there's a an Astrodome sound. It wasn't like a deafening echo. Uh, but it was certainly a little bit different and, and it was just really cool. I mean, it was just, it just had a really, you know, when, when I went inside there, I kind of felt like I was, I really was in a different world and, and don't tell anybody, but when we used to sit in the field boxes, <laughs> you know, you had the, the, the vomitories, you would walk out, right? So you were kind of behind on the concourse. I remember, and I was really little, so forgive me as we were walking past that and there was a different tunnel. To where you could see the field i for you know again i was very small i thought the astrodome was so big 
that there were multiple baseball games going on inside there, <laughs> like on different levels. And and uh, I wow. remember, I mean, that That's wasn't funny. very for very long because my my dad then said, no, 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 this is you know, it's. But I was a little confused because it was so it was built. point i mean nothing there was nothing like it back then and i mean my dad was born the year that the astrodome was built or finished at least and uh but like even as a kid i didn't go to a game until 92 three maybe yeah. 91 at the earliest um and it was exactly like you described it it was just when i walked to my seat it was totally different because even in the early 90s there was still no other domed or roofed stadiums there was nothing else like yeah. where we where we got to play there was no other place really had astroturf like we had it felt like you said very cool and different like we were very unique and yeah. that's also what kind of drew me in like when you said there was just something cool that you couldn't put your finger on it that's exactly how I felt as a kid. It's so crazy to me that you described almost exactly how I felt. It was just like, I don't know why, but this is awesome. Like everything about it. Uh, and then, of course, when I was re- a little bit older, you, you changed the uniforms on me. And But I was such a big <laughs> fan of the orange and, and navy. And the rainbow shoulders were always so awesome to me. And then they changed it. And then I kind of was like, well, actually, this is kind of cool, too. And so, you know, it's uh, as somebody who grew up, you know, about 10 years later, it was almost the exact same thing for me. I I walked in the Astrodome and it was almost like I was in the Bad News Bears. Like I'd I'd seen the movie and I was like, oh, my gosh, it is like the movie. (laughs) That's right. Let them play. Let them play. Yeah. Well, it is. It is really unique. Uh, it, yeah. it is really unique. If you think about that time period that you're talking about, which is the early 90s, uh, you really own, the only other baseball stadium that was domed at the time was the Sky Dome. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Superdome. Oh, wow, well, yeah. the Kingdome. Yeah. The Kingdome was there. Kingdom. But, mm-hmm. uh, but the Kingdome and the Superdome, uh, the Sky Dome, even though it was retractable, uh, they didn't have a roof that looked like the Astrodome that yeah. allowed light to come in. Uh, they they had dark roofs, opaque, uh, no skylights at all. Um, you know, probably because of the lessons learned with the Astrodome, the glare that they had here. Um, but you know, the, it, it's just it looked different from a lot of the other dome stadiums that were there. And then, of course, there were some football domes as well. Uh, you know, like where the the Colts played, and and a couple other places that, that I'm not thinking of the name right away, but. Uh, but the dome has always been unique because it was the first, and I think it, it had some some unique uh, physical attributes that that just carried through the decades that it served Major League Baseball. Yeah, I remember. It, I mean, there was the uniqueness that, like you said, it just didn't do baseball. It did football. You know, the whole movable thing. It would do the Google football said, and yeah. soccer. Remember seeing Pele yeah. there. That was pretty. Yeah, weird. they had. Uh, I think the Houston Hurricanes was the yeah. uh, the name of the team that played there for a short time. Nice. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. 
So where is the Astrodome at, I guess, in your heart? And then I guess, where is it at in, uh, in regards to, uh, you know, what, what are the next steps of it? You know, so I guess first thing, what, where's the Astrodome in your heart then? Well, the Astrodome is always there. You know, I kind of feel like, uh, like I've kind of positioned myself as someone who has contributed to, to making people aware of the importance, not, you know, not only to, to baseball history and what it brought, but also Houston history and what it means to the city and, and, and what it means as a symbol and, and also just the, the general creation of it, you know, where uh, it's, it's, it was the first of its kind, you know, it's kind of like the Eiffel Tower. I mean, at one point, the Astrodome was outdrawing the Eiffel Tower in, in tourist attractions. So oh, where wow. it stands today, uh, through the effort of, of a lot of people, and, and a real big li- a long list of people that I can't go through right now, uh, you know, it, it has been preserved and it has been saved. And uh, the bottom line is it is a state antiquities landmark and that it got that designation uh, back in 2017. And then we officially uh, placed a, a Texas historic marker there in May of 2018. So you can see that right outside the, the West Gate. Uh, and you see the story of the Astrodome there. And that means that uh, the Astrodome is protected from demolition uh, because it is protected by the Texas Historical Commission in any type of work. So if it's demolition work or renovation work or, or even just repainting some of the areas and, and such around it, anything that's going to uh, not necessarily alter, but anything that's going to affect the appearance of the building uh, has to be approved by the Texas Historical Commission. And the Astrodome Conservancy was set up a few years ago to work in conjunction with Harris County and the Texas Historical Commission and other groups who are trying to to do things, who are trying to bring uh, great ideas and, and kind of unite that and, uh, and bring a new life to the Astrodome. Now, what is the status? Well, you know, it's been, it's been very slow going. The Astrodome is probably the most misinformed subject that I've seen ever in my life. And I'm sure that there right. are other things. Um, you know, <laughs> UFOs, you it's know, right I, up there. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard things like, oh, you know, we voted to tear it down in 2013. And uh, that that is not true because it was illegal to put demolition on the, the ballot. You, people were voting for a bond issue. And bond issues are, are very generic. Uh, and at the time, you know, it was kind of publicly guess that if the bond issue didn't pass, then the county would decide to tear down the building. Uh, but, but the Astrodome was also fully paid for. You know, it, and I'm talking about, you, you talk about the original uh, cost of the Astrodome, which was about $36 million. $36 million, huh? Yeah, to $36 build that? million dollars in wow. the 60s, yeah. And then uh, in the uh, in the, the 80s, with for much of the decade of the 80s, there were numerous renovation projects that probably totaled a little over a hundred million dollars. And it updated the facility, new signage, new astroturf. Uh, they expanded the seats. They they put a new sound system in. Uh, smaller scoreboard. They you know they took out the old big home run spectacular in in 1988. And oh yeah, sad day seats. on that. Sad day. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was really you know something that personally I didn't like seeing, but um, but you know the, the Astrodome uh, had all this debt for many years, right? And and uh, the original bonds were going to be retired in two thousand four, 
but the Astros kind of bought that out when they, when they were moving over to the new ballpark uh, downtown, which became Minute Maid Park. But you still had this outstanding debt that the county had from, from the renovation work that they had done in the 1980s. And so that was uh, all paid off by 2013, the, the dome you know, there was there was all this misconception that, that we were still paying for the Astrodome. It just wasn't true uh, that it was costing millions of dollars to operate or just to to mothball every year. And that wasn't true uh, for insurance. You know, the insurance policy. I'm not an expert on the insurance policy that goes on because I don't work for NRG Park, but I do know uh, from from uh, well connected friends that I have over there that the Astrodome is on a blanketed insurance policy for the whole complex. So it doesn't really have its own policy. It's it's there for NRG Park in, in general. And mm. whether or not the Astrodome is there, it's it's kind of the the same policy for for the the whole you know all that acreage of what what encompasses NRG Park. So there there's so much misinformation. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there were also contract constraints with the county. Uh, Harris County had entered an exclusive five-year contract with uh, the Astrodome Redevelopment Corporation back several years ago. And they were trying to get financing. They wanted to turn the Astrodome into a hotel uh, and some yeah, other entertainment that. facility. Yeah, and, and but because they had signed, the county had signed this contract with with the what was known as the, uh, the ARC, uh, they they really couldn't um, couldn't do anything else, and so they um, they they had to kind of wait it out. And then you know things kind of fall into limbo, and you have the other things, the misconceptions, and all this other stuff. And so here we are. Yeah. But really, the <laughs> yeah. the the uh, it, it's just it, it just kind of stacks up. You know, there there again, so many, so many things that, that people don't understand, but. In essence, you know, money is this, the uh, the end result, you know, and, and how do we spend the money? Uh, and that all comes into what what we make the building into and how it benefits yeah. the citizens of Harris County and how it generates revenue for, for NRG Park and how it's part of that, that, that system of facilities that's there. So, uh, you know, that's that's something that, that the uh, Astronome Conservancy is, is taking a, a really good hard look at. There was a public engagement campaign that started out earlier this summer, uh, the, the kind of bringing people in uh, to kind of gauge the, the public opinion as to what they would like to see in the Astronome. That had actually never been done before, even though a lot of media outlets had, had actually reported, oh, here we go again, they're soliciting ideas, and, and really that had not taken place. Uh, so, so, you know, from my standpoint, I've been working on the redesign of the Astrodome for, for many, many years. And, and I have put together a lot of conceptual models. Uh, you know, I know that Roy Hoffines back in, in the 60, early sixties, when they were trying to get the Astrodome built, uh, that was part of the tools that he used were, uh, three-dimensional models to kind of show what the building would look like, how it would be laid out and what it would do. And so that's kind of what, what I, I don't think that's really kind of changed. I think people like seeing a physical product that you can really kind of envision. You know, it's one thing to see renderings or, or see a, a bullet point sheet, but I really wanted to show some things where this is what can be done. And so uh, I've developed it over the years. I've done a very comprehensive outline of how every level is, is kind of laid out in the future. Uh, what the purpose is for every level, not just the layout, uh, and then what kind of events can come back in the Astrodome. And I, I think in the end, while the Astrodome appearance, the physical appearance on the inside, 
uh, has, you know, under what I've done personally, uh, changes drastically, although it still looks like the Astrodome, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, the spirit will still be there. I think people will in the future will still be amazed to walk in. I mean, if you look back in 2015 and in 2018, when we had these dome coming events and the County opened up <laughs> the, the Astrodome. Nice. Yeah. Oh, and, good. and, uh, and, and, you know, there were 25,000 people that came for each event and just kind of walked in. I mean, the amazement that, you know, people had seen the inside again, looked up at that roof in years. And so it's still something that people look up and, and get, you know, I was talking to a real good friend of mine many years ago and he, you know, this is back probably seven or eight years ago. And he, he straight up asked me, he's like, Mike, what, this is right after the election, the, the bond issue that, that happened a few months later. And he said, Mike, really, what what would they do? I mean, seriously, I mean, look, the building, I mean, what would you do with a building where they, they don't need to play baseball anymore? And we were right. walking inside for, for a project that we had. And I started to outline, and I said, this is the kind of the, at the point, at that point, I had all the, the concepts out. And we walked in, and by the time, in about a minute span, and we walked down the tunnel, and he looked up at the roof, he said, I get it. He said, I get it. He said, now I understand. I've, you know, being in here, seeing the roof and hearing you talk about what would go on in here and some of the interactivities that would take place and some of the, the attraction uh, part of it uh, and the dynamic architecture that, that would be in there uh, and flexible architecture, he understood. He, you know, he could see it coming to life. I mean, he couldn't see the end result, but he could see it coming to life. And I think that most people uh, feel that way when, when they walk into the dome and, and look up, they kind of feel that, uh, this this is not a dead building. This is just a building in in, in like I've always told people that was the victim of of seeing the the sports equations. Uh, you know the business of sports, their business models change over the years, and it was you know and the dome is is a place that actually uh, brought forth all the uh, the wonderful amenities that we see today in stadiums with you know these uh, these luxurious clubs and suites and. And luxurious seating and the fine dining and the entertainment that you get in the ballpark, you know, all started with with the Astrodome. So, um, you know, I think people get it when they go back in, you know, but the, there's a disconnect there. And and plus, you know, we've also gone with uh, the 20, 22 years since the Astros played there. And so you have, uh, you know, there's a new generation of Houstonians here. Who, who do have a disconnect and there's there's a younger generation that was probably born around 2000 or 1998 and never saw baseball there and they've grown up with baseball in a made park so you know we want to make this not just about nostalgia but we want to bring forth uh, a building that everybody can be proud of i think that one of the things that houston has and you go online and see the different uh social media accounts and and companies that you know that are out there there's a lot of houston pride in, in oh, yeah. the culture in the in the city, and this is this is probably the epicenter of Houston culture. I mean, this is what changed Houston culture for decades after it was built. So it's just it's kind of hidden away, but we have to yeah. just kind of tool with it and 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 redesign it and make it something great again. Can you wait too long? I mean, you said twenty two years. I know they've done some stuff with it. I mean, what? How how far can we wait till something gets done? Because I think it's great that it's got all this historical uh, 
stuff that's tied to it, but it just sounds like a lot of people that need to agree on stuff. And I know that that's, you know, that's hard to do. So, I mean, are we urgent? Where where are we at? You know, I think, I think we've been urgent for, for a number of years because we're really wasting time in, in the fact that the, I mean, the building is still in great condition. It's not falling apart, right? It's, uh, it's actually more structurally sound than NRG stadium right next door. It was over-engineered. I mean, this, this building is very (laughs) strong. It's in great condition, right? Uh, but what we really need to do, and kind of what, what you alluded to there, is getting some people to agree. And what I mean by that is we need our, our county government leadership to really get behind this and, and realize that this is an asset for the people of Harris County, Houston, and the surrounding areas uh, where people are going to come in and spend money here. And so this is, uh, this is an opportunity for some people to really learn more. And I like what I just alluded to. Uh, you know, since nothing has taken place there for a couple of decades, uh, you know, we have some people who, who are in government leadership who do have a disconnect about the Astrodome. And, and they, they kind of uh, put it on the back burner and, and you know, they don't know much about it. And, and, you know, there's always something else better, whether it's flood control or COVID-19 to discuss and put on the front burner. But, but you know what? There, I don't think there's ever a really good time to do projects like this. It's kind of like your house. You know, if you need to replace the air conditioner in your house or you need to put new carpeting or, you know, if you have a pipe burst because it's cold outside and it's just, you know, rare freeze, there's never a good time to take on a project like this. But you have to do it because this is who we are, where this is Houston, Texas, where this is a city where we've done great things, where we've we've had innovation here. It is kind of in our DNA to think this way. And we need people who are in Houston to get on board with that. You know, I kind of joked, I said, do I need to run for, you know, some sort of political uh, position, you know, to where, <laughs> you, you know, now to. I have, I that have, may help. you know, <laughs> let's, you know, now I'm the county judge or mayor or whatever. I and mean, the mayor doesn't really have any, any real say into the, the, the Astrodome because it's county owned. Um, but, you know, I've kind of half joked about that. And, and so that's, that's what we really need. Is yeah. we, we need to educate not only the public, but we need to educate some of the elected officials who are representing, you know, people like us, like me here in Harris County, you know, and, right. and uh, you know, the, the dome is owned by the citizens of Harris County. And so we we're doing a disservice to people by by not having it open and, and better than what it is. Sure. And what I was going to say is it's going to take someone like you or a me or a Steve who grew up here and has that kind of connection to the Astrodome. Like you, like you, we could all talk about it for a long time. We have a lot of memories, but it's somebody where that, like you said, it's our identity and I've moved to other places, but Houston has always been my home. And I know plenty of other Houstonians that have felt that way. And like you said, it's we're doing the citizens of Harris County a disservice by just letting it waste away. And it's going to take somebody getting into the right position. Uh, and maybe it could be you, Mike. Uh, you know, I, I'll vote for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> and, you know, I've always, look, and you know what? I, you know, I've always thought that, that uh, you know, I, I've actually considered it, you know, like what, what it would be to be a, an elected official because – Working for a baseball team in, in the, the manner that, that I was able to, you really engage the public a lot. You know, the, the industry is sports uh, and entertainment, but you really, one of the, the key things that, that I really took from 
over those two decades was engaging with people and hearing their stories and hearing how they feel and helping them out, you know, because I, I was uh, helping people out from resolving issues. Uh, you know, I was in the ticket office for a while, you know, I mean, it was everything, uh, anything is baseball draws a lot of emotions just like real life does mm -hmm. and uh you know I, I felt that you know this could translate into you know how how we genuinely uh take care of citizens you know for for a town or a city uh it, it's kind of the same thing i mean politics in, in general uh you know they politics hasn't gotten the the vibe that it does you know <laughs> without certain <laughs> things that you think of but uh um, right. you know it, it's um you know, politicians are humans too, you know, so sure. they don't always make the, the best decisions. And, um, but you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I half joke, you know, mm -hmm. I, like I said, I have, I half joke, half but, right. but I, but I, I've come to the point where I kind of feel that it does require somebody who is willing to take on a project, uh, and be a leader you know, when you're when you are addressing other front burn, I understand that there are front burner issues, and those front burner issues are are kind of in in fluctuation. They change uh, because you know you cannot predict when a hurricane is going to strike. You cannot predict sure. when a pandemic is going to happen or some sort of national tragedy that's going to affect your area. But there are all these other projects. It's never a good time. It, it will never right. be a good time to do lots of different things. So you have to really grab it by the horns, take it on get the knowledge and organize it and see it through. And, yeah. and that's, that's what Houston has always done. So that's what Houston has to do again. And I want to see more of in, in this region. You know, I, I, again, there's a lot of people who have a lot of Houston pride in the culture, H-Town, the HTX, you know, there's all, you know, all these different terms that have come out with, with younger generations. And you see that there, there is a, a fire burning with, within them. And they would just absolutely love to see a facility like the Astrodome come alive. I mean, yeah. it would just be amazing. I mean, I, I wish people, I wish you could take a holographic image out of my mind and, mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of put it here beyond these models that I have here and, and see what, what can actually be done. I mean, there is, there is a definite vision. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what your vision is formally. It sounds like some good stuff. I mean, what about all the people from California? I mean, would a production, you know, what if Warner Brothers wants to drop shop there? I mean, it seems like that would be a pretty good facility. But again, I don't know. It would be. Uh, you, you have to understand that, you know, so, so in redesigning the Astrodome, you have to look back on what, how the Astrodome was designed. The Astrodome was designed to accommodate many multi-purpose events, right? And it was within this fantastic uh, architectural and engineering wonder. And what made it spectacular were all these people that came together, the best in their fields, to, to do these things inside the Astro, whether it was a rodeo cowboy, a football player, a baseball player, an astronaut, a singer, whatever it was, uh, even a stuntman that came that came in there or whatever it was, uh, it was. It I did was see an Evil Knievel there. A, didn't he? Evil Knievel yeah. did some stuff. There. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It was a it was a venue. It's a it's a forum. It's a facility to bring out the best in the best that we have in every industry across this country and in the world. Right. So, you know the uh, uh, the, the 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 thing about it is that you you have to maintain that. You don't really want to necessarily reinvent the wheel but you're not necessarily needing the stadium features 
anymore like you once did because we have a stadium downtown for Minute Park and we have the football stadium next door uh, for, for the NFL team. So, but you, what you don't want to do is you, you don't want to put a, a big water slide in the dome and say, hey, this is the, the Astrodome's going to be a water park <laughs> for the next 50 years because you cannot guarantee that that business model is going to succeed even five years from now. You know, yeah. there, or, you know, if you put a ski slope in there or something like that, you have to make the Astrodome interchangeable. It has to be what I, what I like to term flexible architecture, a dynamic. It has to be dynamic. It has to be uh, receptive to things. So if Warner Brothers wanted to come into the Astrodome, and it's, and it's happened before. Warner Brothers filmed inside the, uh, the Spruce Goose Dome uh, out in California when they were filming uh, Batman Forever because they needed a, a huge soundstage. You can do that in the Astrodome. There are spaces if you want to rent out uh, you know, you can do that. And under the things that I'm working on, you have gone from, you know, I think people also think about the floor space of the, of the dome and they think about the football field, they think about the baseball field, but imagine the floor space being over 50 to 60% larger. Mm-hmm. You know, a baseball field is about two, a little over two and a quarter acres of land. Imagine removing the field boxes and creating a larger circle that's there on that floor. Oh, wow. And now you have a bigger space to do a lot of great things sure. there. And it's not just that space, it's the surrounding areas too. You don't know, think about at one point, if you're up on the loge level and you know, you're sitting in the purple or gray seats, depending on what year it was. The loge, um, the mezzanine you know, was you, always you my have, You have some, uh, some uh, communications, you know, some, some, uh, places where you can do other things in as well like like uh uh you know again i don't want to go into too many details because there's there's a lot of stuff that's going on with this but uh but you can you can make the astrodome friendly to bringing in these types of things things that you see as an event things that you don't see going on behind the scenes you know so it's you can can for sure say it's not a parking lot though it's definitely not going to be a parking lot I don't think so. No, no, and I and I think you know they. they We've had, heard uh, anything they had, tonight. <laughs> they they had proposed putting like fourteen hundred parking spaces <laughs> under a street level floor. Um, I think we can do other things with that space uh, that are a lot more interactive. You know, but uh, I do have. I will say that I do think that that area is conducive to some VIP parking. And for very specific reasons, for, for things that go on in the Astrodome and under this uh, new design that I've been working on for a while. So, you know, it's, uh, again, we, I think we can create, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to be very creative. And all the technology that we have now, all the interactivity that we have between people on social media and all these apps that we have, uh, there's, there's a wonderful opportunity to educate, to entertain uh, and and to bring pride, you know, back to to this building and, and bring a new generation of people who who will develop a pride for this building. Because I also have told people, you know, when we renovate the Astrodome, the Astrodome held baseball for 35 seasons, right? So, you know, now it's been, you know, the, the dome is over 55 years old and turned 56 this year. Uh, you know, going into the future, it's still solid enough to to last another 50 years. It's going to be this next incarnation for a lot longer than it was a baseball stadium and a football stadium. Uh, and, and, uh, and I wouldn't, you know, one thing I do want to say that, that I'm kind of excited about is 
I, I don't feel that baseball is uh, completely out of the the possibility in the Astrodome in the future. Uh, and, <laughs> awesome. I, and I think, and I'm not saying it from a major league sure. standpoint, but sure. but think about how we develop uh, young baseball fans in Houston. And, uh, you know, think about the Bad News Bears and kind of uh, the yeah. kids on the field. Uh, imagine uh, a forum, an arena, where many different kids can come in and we can have a, a new form of AstroTurf in certain areas, and you can have tournaments under the dome, yeah. and you can have many games. The, the floor would be large enough to have more than two or three or you know up to four games on the floor. So wow. it's uh, you, you would still have some aspect of sports in there, but it would be uh, you know largely entertainment and interactivity uh, and and a revenue. You know, again, we have yeah. to find a way. Well. We have to generate revenue there, yeah. just like the the other buildings do for for NRG Park, like the yeah. NRG Center, NRG Stadium, and NRG Arena. The the the, uh, the dome has to generate revenue. Yeah, it can't just sit there. Even though we would be okay with that, but yeah, you're right. You yeah. have to kind of monetize it. And uh, yeah, that's such a great idea. I mean, think about. Um, I always thought it would be cool if they could do it to have the. Um, they do the college classic every February, March or so at Minute Maid to have that in the dome, man, that would be awesome. Uh, just anything like that. Just like you said, not full time or major league baseball use, but special tournaments or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, area code games for prospects, things like that. That's all such a, such a great thing that I would still give me a reason to go watch baseball in the Astrodome. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think uh, you know now the the, the uh, college classic that takes place at Bit of a Park is a uh, it, it's it's a foundation uh, revenue center you know for the mm -hmm. Astros and and Minute Maid and uh, so so that is tied to something specific a revenue a charitable revenue stream mm -hmm. uh, but that's not to say that we couldn't create something like that in in sure. the Astrodome and sure. and one of the things that that really I kind of uh, love about the the future is is that um, telescoping uh, stands, telescoping seating. Uh, you know, we had movable stands. You know, with the field box level at the Astrodome to convert from baseball to football. But if you look at some of the technology and some of the advancements that have taken place, uh, in particular, if you look at some of the Japanese dome stadiums. Uh, and, and some just in general, some of the new technology with telescoping stands where you can still have really nice, you know, you kind of think of seats that retract and fold away. It's kind of like, you know, a, a bleacher, you know, a plastic chair. But there are capabilities out there to have seats that are just as comfortable or more comfortable than the, uh, the theater type seats that were in the Astrodome and, and have that for, for other events. So that that is what I kind of mean by having flexible architecture and and having a dynamic space that can be interchangeable, you know, to accommodate different things. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not talking about when I say different events, I'm not talking about just a convention center. I'm talking about a very dynamic facility that kids, you know, schools will come out for for tours, uh, for education. I mean, there would be things going on in the building on different levels at all times. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that does sound like a, a lot of stuff going on ahead of time there. Um, we just need to raise some funds. We just need to, to, to get the funds together. And uh, so if I could take control of the, the county budget, then maybe I can uh, yes, start Yes, there you go. Some, some money it there, all comes so. back to money. It does, yeah, it unfortunately. Does. It always so, does. Oh, man. Awesome. 
Um, so we're kind of coming up on the hour, um, but I did want to ask, uh, you know, we've been listening to you and you've got, uh, definitely a lot of heart. Uh, I mean, what does Houston, you know, what does Houston mean to you when you think about Houston? Houston, uh, Houston is, uh, Houston is a very, uh, you know, I, I've used the word dynamic, uh, a lot tonight, uh, because I feel a lot of the energy of the city you know, has come out of the spirit that, that generated a building like the Astrodome, the can-do spirit, the pride, uh, you know, that we're, we're willing to, to do things different. We're willing to, to do the unknown, to go into the unknown and, and experiment and uh, try to, to make things better or try to, to be an innovator in a, in a field. Uh, we, we also uh, pride ourselves on, on many different aspects. So, you know, Houston is a, is a town that developed in, in industry and um, in, in money, you know, with energy and, and uh, you know, the medical fields and everything else. But Houston is also a, a very great arts center and, and, you know, prides itself in having a lot of numer numerous artists who are, who are very outstanding. And the art scene is very good. So we have a lot of creative minds here in Houston. And it just, it just feels like, you know, in, in 1986, um, we had uh, uh, the camp. I think I'm not sure who came up with it, but the city hall was pushing it, and it was called Houston Proud. And that's kind of something that that you know it happened in a year where the economy was down. Uh, a lot of people right. were unemployed at that time, and and they were generating a slogan called Houston Proud, and, and a lot of people rallied around that. And you still kind of see it out there. Some of these bumper stickers that are that are out there, and other things. And if you look up on YouTube, you can find some of these old videos. Um, but but Houston is is very different. Uh, it, it's it it can it's just like the weather here. You know, Houston can can be uh, you know sunny in the morning and storming in the afternoon. You know, yeah. it, it can handle that, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, and, and it's pers it, it, it takes perseverance to to, to kind of uh, really put Houston down, you know, off off of where it stands, uh, because the people are very resilient here. And I think that the fact that we do have a, a lot of people who were born in Houston, native Houstonians, but we have a, a lot of wonderful people who have moved here from other cities and have really been part of the culture and, and really grasp it. And, and, you know, they, they find themselves as Houstonians and, and Texans here and they're, they're proud of this area. And I think pride, um, you know, is, is a very big part of being a, a Houstonian and, and culture. Yeah. The Houston culture scene, I think has developed a oh, lot, definitely. The, especially, yeah, especially over the past 10 years. I think uh -huh. it's out, uh, it, it's, it's kind of uh, found its identity a lot more and, and it's probably because of the social media that has become prevalent, uh, and and you can interact with with many different people. Uh, but I think it's it's found a little bit more of an identity in in the past uh, you know several years now. Yeah, you had you had mentioned uh, about uh, there was something called rendezvous or something, and it kind of harkens <laughs> and kind of wraps it all kind of back up for me at least in the sense that. Uh, I mean, sports, sports do mean something to a city, and we've definitely, as, as uh, Houstonians, rallied around the old Houston Oilers with Bum Phillips, and uh, you had mentioned the rendezvous. Um, can you yeah. speak to that a little bit? Or? Sure, sure. Yeah, so um, Houstonians, a lot of Houstonians are going to remember uh, an event called Rendezvous Houston, which happened on, on April 5th, 1986, and it was to celebrate the uh, 25th anniversary of NASA and also the sesquicentennial 
uh, the, the 150th anniversary of Houston and Texas. And there was a, a French composer, electronic composer named Jean-Michel Jarre, who was brought uh, to town in 1985 to, to see if he was interested in doing a massive concert, which involved uh, the downtown skyline and, and putting lasers and projections on the buildings and, and uh, you know, illuminating them in colors that were changing and such. Uh, and he came to town and he saw the, you know, the, the Houston skyline. Uh, it, it looked a lot like it does now. There's a few more buildings now, but but the, a lot of the, the main buildings that you see now were, were there in 1986. Uh, and, and he loved, he just fell in love with the architecture and the spirit of Houston. He had never been to Texas before. And he befriended oh, some what? astronauts. <laughs> yeah, he'd never been to Texas. And he, he became friends with, you know, he visited NASA because this was something that was going to celebrate the the anniversary of nasa and um you know he he became really good friends with with ronald mcnair who was uh, a, a musician Challenger. as well yeah and he uh he was going to play the saxophone uh in space and was going to put it on this new album uh called rendezvous and rendezvous was designed for the concert that was going to be played in houston and that album was slated to to be released uh, right before the concert in in April of '86, but uh, Ronald McNair was also one of the Challenger astronauts, and he perished on, on January 28th of '86. Yes. Yes, and uh, so so they weren't able to complete that project. So they they had when they did do the the concert, they had a, a, a local artist, a musician, another saxophonist named, named Kirk Whalem. And uh, he, he was big on the, the music scene. A lot of people knew him. He stepped in and played the saxophone part for McNair during, during the concert. They did a big tribute. They put the images of the astronauts in the buildings. But the concert as a whole was just, you know, I, I kind of tend to feel that only Houston could have hosted an event like that. I mean, it, it, was, it was really yeah. something. It was, it was like a moving painting, like, a, like something that was changing. You would see, you know a longhorn steer on a building, the Texas flag, the Alamo, the NASA logo, you know, people <laughs> walking down the street. It was so creative. And you had these beams of light coming out of the buildings and fireworks and buildings were changing from red to blue. And, and it was just lasers were popping everywhere. Uh, it, it, and it was 90 minutes long. We're not talking about like some 4th of July oh, wow. celebration. You know, wow. we're talking about a full concert, you know, where he performed like <laughs> 15 or 16 songs and then he actually did an encore as well and and so um it it was something you know my my family we went to go see it we were at white oak right along white oak bayou uh at studiowood park and we watched it there we had it uh, they they simulcasted the the music the live music that was being performed live on a stage uh in front of one of the hotels downtown and we could hear it as if we were right there close. And and they had told people that if you know if you are in the surrounding areas, especially on the west side, and if you bring your radio like a boombox, you you would be able to really see the big picture of this concert. And that event, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, really kind of brought the city together at a time, like I said, where the economy was in the dumps. A lot of people were out of work. Uh, there were not a lot of real reasons to, to be happy, you know, even though uh, the sports scene was pretty good that year because the Astros played well, the Rockets played well that year, uh, even though there was some heartbreak there, <laughs> you know, like we were accustomed <laughs> Always. to for many years. Always. Uh, but 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 Rendezvous Houston, uh, it was called a city in concert. Uh, 
uh, was just something very spectacular. It changed me, my perspective of creativity and art forever, and and still today, where where I uh, I actually uh, paint uh, digitally uh, images of the downtown buildings, like creating my own concert as part of my own art series. And I call I actually called digital rendezvous because uh, it's it's kind of an homage to what Jean-Michel Jarre did, but it's it's done in digital form. And what I'd like to do is eventually create a, a an animated uh, concert where I have special effects that are all digital and you can see a concert, you know, if it's 30 minutes or an hour and do that. So, but that uh, was probably one of the most historic events that ever happened in Houston. And I wish, I wish many more people, there were like 1.3 million people that saw it in holy person. Holy cow. And, uh, and the traffic was terrible. The freeways <laughs> were locked up afterwards, but you know what? No one seemed to care. No yeah, one seemed right? to care because it brought such a breath of fresh air into the city, and it and it just re- rejuvenated a lot of people's uh, outlook. Uh, that people were were just amazed by what they saw, and and even if they were stuck in traffic trying to go home for a few hours, uh, the, the, you go back and look at the stories. Houston police did not have any type of altercations or incidents wow. from that show. I mean, that was really something that was very positive. Well, it sure sounds like uh, where we're at right now, uh, we could certainly, if anybody's listening, try to plan another one of those uh, rendezvous <laughs> for 2021 and uh, try to reunite and reinvigorate the city. So, Yeah, Mike, I just have uh, one last question for you. And just again for uh, you know, giving us some of your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I've been following you for years. Uh, but, Mike, what is your uh, like most... I don't know if favorite is the word, but your your favorite Astrodome memory doesn't have to be Astros, can be Astros, but I know that you probably saw plenty of other things, rodeos, you know, all that. What's what's one of your favorite or your all-time favorite memory that you experienced in the Astrodome? Um, I would have to say the the day that we closed out the Astrodome on October 3rd, 1999, you know, I was I was working for the Astro. I see all of those ceremonies that had been planned out from the uh, the Astros radio booth, and that seeing that perspective was really something. And it, because I had met uh, the the Roy Hoffines family, the the uh, Ari Bob Smith family early on, before that game, Craig Cullinan was there, um, and and all the the, all of these great Astro players that were there on the club level, and they were all going to be down on the field before the game. And I, and, and my family was there, you know, I didn't, uh, my, my, uh, my wife was, was, uh, she was just a couple of months pregnant with our first kid at that point. Um, but she was there along with my parents and, uh, you know, my, it was great because my mom and dad were there because they were the ones who took me to the games. And now here I was sitting and literally sitting right there where my old Hamilton sits, because that's where I was working and watching, uh, you know, these, these wonderful closing ceremonies, uh, take place. And, and then the fireworks that, you know, they turned out the lights and Willie Nelson was singing, turn out the lights from behind second base. And it was just a, a really special moment. Uh, and, and I remember thinking at, at this at that time, why are we changing this? I mean, <laughs> yeah. why 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 are we doing this? And I, I did understand. I understood 
But at the same time, I was still asking, is this really the right thing? You know, and, and again, that was just somebody who had an attachment to the dome and a native Houstonian. And I, I'm sure I wasn't the only one at the time thinking that. But but that sure. day really stands out to me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I even as an adult, I feel the same way. I was uh, in, what was it, 99, you said? I was 12, yeah. uh, so I didn't really understand as much as I do now. But now as an adult, I feel like we could have waited a few more years and at least had a World Series in that building uh, or something, you know, 05, yeah. uh, something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's a great memory, I'm sure, seeing all those legends and just uh, watching everything kind of come to an end, a place that you kind of grew up with that was mm-hmm. so special to you. And obviously, the way you talk about it now – you can tell that the Astrodome and Houston in general um, mean a lot to you. And as they do most of us native mm-hmm. Houstonians. Um, but I, I, Steve, I just, uh, and Mike, for sure, thanks again, because I don't think we could have brought a better guest on to kind of capture the spirit of Houston and how it's important. And you're just, you're such a great ambassador for not only the Astros, but the Astrodome and our city. And that's exactly why I wanted to have you on. And Steve, thanks for doing the legwork there. Uh, but it's just, you're, you're such a great person to talk to about the city and, and in general. And I, I can not thank you enough for taking some time today for us. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So, yeah, I think that's a great place to, uh, to end it. And uh, I'm going to be looking and uh, definitely looking down ballot making sure uh, when I see your name there for city council. <laughs> Harris County judge. Harris yeah. County judge. All right, look out, uh, Hidalgo. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, appreciate uh, all of the history. And uh, we didn't even, you know, fully tap into uh, a lot of the uh, memorabilia and stuff. You sh- yeah. were gracious enough to show us some of that stuff there. Um, we if, can do it again. Uh, you want... Do you want to see a piece that I have here? That's, yes. That I think yeah, is really cool. Out of hand, offhand, yeah. yeah, look. Let me show you this. Can you see those? Oh, are those Judge Hoffine's glasses? That is a pair of Judge Roy Hoffine's glasses. Oh, and, nice. Uh, nice. Go, yeah. go West. And, and uh, they're, kind of a, they're kind of a sense of inspiration uh, as I and, – and if you look over my shoulder right over here, there's a jacket sitting there in that orange – uh, that that is actually uh, Judge Hoffines' uh, jacket that he had in wow. the early seventies. Yeah, and I, I got those on a on an auction, uh, and they they mean a lot to me uh, more yeah. than just having as memorabilia, you know, whatever is is termed. Uh, they they really are a source of inspiration because you know as I as I do all this work, whether it's for the Astros, it's for the Astrodome Conservancy, or if it's just me on my own, uh, I, I like to to think that i'm i'm steering in the right direction for everybody for for the the people of the city and the county people who came before me and and just trying to do things the right way so that's that's why i have those things nice well those glasses that's really unique because i i I can't imagine how how difficult that was to find uh but his glasses are really iconic so it's uh it's so really cool that you have those Yeah, it, it, they're they're very cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the more that's one of the more cooler pieces I've seen. So. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Well, well, again, thank you so much, Mike. Totally appreciate it. Uh, continued positivity for everything that you're doing. Glad all is well, sure. and hopefully, yeah, we can. 
do what you were saying in regards to the rendezvous and and try to uh, to gather the city around a concert to gather city the city back around uh, the uh, Astrodome as well because uh, I've heard from many people and yourself included that uh, it's it's definitely worth keeping. I wasn't always a believer, but I definitely uh, I get it now. And uh, and I'm I'm hopeful Good. that uh, that yeah that <laughs> things are, <laughs> that things are gonna happen. So so awesome. So uh, thanks everybody. Uh, thanks again, Mike. We'll talk soon. And uh, also thanks again, Wes. Appreciate your time. Thank and you. uh, we will uh, go ahead and uh, cash it on out there. Take care, Mike. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much.